0: I'm Elena Becker, and this is PS, the Puget Sound podcast, where we're talking with members of our community about their Puget Sound experiences. Today our guest is Ian Fox, an alum in the class of 2014, and we're recording at PRX Podcast Garage in Boston, where Ian works as a project manager. Ian, good morning.
1: Good morning. What's up?
0: Oh, not too much. Yeah? Just living the dream here on the East Coast. Oh, what's your dream? Well, I love coming to Boston. Yeah? So I should say that. I get to work with students from New England in my job. I always get a big kick out of coming to the East Coast, in part because I'm a lifelong West Coaster. Mm. And it's just um, it's just fun. It feels different. I don't know if you had that experience when oh. you made your way here, but like the visual history... Of the East Coast is striking to me.
1: Totally, yeah. The buildings are all different. The people are uh, more uh, upfront, maybe. Right. Uh, con- confrontational. In, sure. In a positive way sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a different, definitely different vibe from the West Coast. Yeah. And
0: you're also, you're from Minnesota, right? That's right. So you sort of had the trifecta. You've had the Midwest, you've had the West Coast, you've had the East Coast.
1: Yeah, I bounced around a bit. Uh, now I'm just missing the South and Alaska and Hawaii.
0: Sure. Have you done the Southwest ever?
1: No, I've never been through there at all, not, let alone lived there. Yeah. Um, I've been to Austin, but that doesn't really count.
0: Not as the Southwest Southwest, though I do really like Austin. Yeah. I have heard people say a lot of positive things. I feel a lot of positive things about yeah. Austin. I
1: had a friend from Puget Sound who was from New Mexico. I just wouldn't stop talking about it.
0: Yes, that's one part of the country. Kind of like Boston, actually, where people who are from there are very... Um, enthusiastic Mm. and i would say like minnesota also
1: Mm -hmm. i agree with that well people from minnesota love minnesota
0: and so let me hit you with my first piece of background research about you which is i believe that you're the founding member of puget sounds minnesota club that uh, that's yes is Uh, that that's true
1: i was the founder the co-founder and the founding president and wow uh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, so speaking of pride for Minnesota, you uh, it's hard to imagine that manifesting any more clearly than the Minnesota Club at a Pacific Northwest <laughs> liberal arts institution. Yeah, the Minnesota
1: Club was great. Uh, it, was, it basically started because my friend Laura and I... Uh, are from Minneapolis. And we realized that everyone we knew at Puget Sound was from Minnesota, loved <laughs> Minnesota, missed Minnesota, wanted to talk about Minnesota. We thought, well, how can we just like make that a club and also maybe get some money for it? Right. You know? <laughs> and uh, so we did. And we had 80 members or something, oh 60, 60 members or something <laughs> like that. And we would meet and listen to a radio station called The Current, which is a Local alternative music station in sure. Minnesota. We would carve butter. Uh, we did a <laughs> we we partnered with with PSO Puget Sound Outdoors on a trip uh, where uh, I led a, a hiking trip to a lake. And since it was a lake, we could uh-huh. co- we code co- do it with Minnesota with the Minnesota Club, Minnesota Club? Yeah. right? Uh, and we we like uh, we got a van. Uh, we got an Aesop's van uh, to go up to a concert for a Minnesota band up in Seattle. It was right. just like it was totally ludicrous, right? Um, but it was an awesome excuse to just like meet other people from Minnesota who I wouldn't have met otherwise. Were
0: you exclusively a Minnesotan club? Did you let in anybody from Wisconsin? Uh,
1: That's a great question. (laughs) A very uh, tough question. Mm. We were for Minnesotans and friends of Minnesota. Mm. So it was open to So no
0: Wisconsin, in Mm. other words. That's right. (laughs) That's exactly right.
1: No rivals. (laughs) Or Iowa. Right. Uh, Have you ever heard the joke, uh, our... Former Senator Al Franken uh, on on the Senate floor told the following joke.
0: I can't he wait said, for this.
1: Why is Minnesota so windy? Because Wisconsin sucks and the Dakotas blow.
0: <laughs> and I was like
1: on the official record <laughs> of the United <laughs> what States Senate. A
0: joke for the Senate floor. I know. Floor.
1: Well, he was a, uh, you know, uh, he, he didn't mind no. the the, the uh, attention. <laughs>
0: would go for the joke. I yeah. think Al Franken established himself as That's somebody who true. believed in going for
1: the joke. Yeah, he did. Yeah.
0: So, but you had people who were not from Minnesota in the Minnesota Club.
1: Right. Yeah. Sure.
0: Were there any entry criteria? No.
1: Nope. If you wanted to come, we would welcome you. Uh, we met in a room called Jones 110 or something. Jones 107. Sure. It was, it's it's the, the only real lecture. Well, it's... One of the couple lecture halls on campus. And yeah. It it's huge, and it was a dumb decision because, of course, like not 120 people came to our to your Minnesota, uh, Minnesota lecture club. series. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so our first, I think, our first meeting was like six people. That was short, and it felt really sad. We we just <laughs> like were in this huge hall with only six people, and it's basically just my friends who I dragged out. Right. Um, which is fine. I mean, the whole point is it was just a fun club to yeah. hang out anyway. So.
0: Well, you'll be pleased out. to know that the Minnesota club is still alive.
1: I am pleased. It
0: still exists. I think their main activity now is hosting um parties where people bring is it hot dish? Is hot that dish. the Minnesota thing?
1: That's very much a Minnesota thing, yeah. And it's
0: it's like a casserole. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not being from Minnesota and being only a casual friend of Minnesota, I've never attended one of these.
1: Mm. But, uh, I so a hot dish is a traditional thing f- through the Lutheran churches. Uh, okay. It kind of came I don't really know the whole history. I think it came from uh, immigrants from Sweden. But basically now, it, like every, every family has their own recipe. There's no common recipe for sure. hot dish. Um, but, but the common things are it's a casserole. Um, it probably has a, t- a potato component, like a tater tot or a mashed potato. Right. Probably has some green bean situation, like a green bean soup from a Campbell's can or something like yeah. that. Um, and maybe some fried onions on top. Other than that, everyone kind of does their own thing. Um, but yeah, it's just this like really heavy, hearty dish and people would bring it traditionally uh, to church for af- sure. after services and stuff, um, which I'm not Lutheran, so i would never had that experience. Right. I actually don't know if I've ever had a hot dish, but really? uh, it's a very Minnesotan thing.
0: Yeah, I, I have the impression of it as sort of a flagship yeah. thing of Minnesota. Yeah, but in part, probably because it's been co-opted by the Minnesota that's Club, right. the that's University right. of Puget well, Sound. You're welcome. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you very much for that. So we owe that to you and your legacy at Puget Sound. Um, <laughs> all,
1: well, so th- this interview is over. Then, so that, that's, that's, it. that's it. It's good. good to
0: make a mark. Yeah. And you now that we've talked, I, d- I don't have any other questions. Cool. <laughs> so, um, but I would actually like to talk to you about sort of how you found your way to what you eventually majored in, which I think is something that has come up for me as I've talked to some of our current students hmm. And that a lot of people either came in and weren't sure what they wanted to do, or thought they knew what they wanted to do and then changed their minds abruptly. And I'm curious, just with a little more perspective, how that journey played out for you.
1: Mm. Yeah, when I uh, entered college, like everyone, I thought I knew. I, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, right? And that was to triple major, uh, <laughs> which was a
0: that's it, ambitious. Is,
1: yeah, ambitious is putting it lightly. I think it's foolish. Um, but. Uh, it was gonna be like philosophy, political science, and some and I think religion or something. And um, I started taking philosophy classes, uh, took formal logic, realized I'm terrible at it, and had no talent for it, and would, would have been a terrible major. <laughs> um, so I almost got to the minor, but I didn't really finish that. Um, in my f- second semester, I, not accidentally, but I had to take some of the re- required classes, mm-hmm. as we do at the a liberal arts curriculum. school. That's exactly right. Um, and I took one on accident through the English department. Mm. And
0: how do you take a class on accident? Uh,
1: I it was my fifth choice uh, <laughs> when I was signing up for classes. and right. it, everything else was filled, so I just right. I had to take it, mm-hmm. um, and or fourth choice or something like that. And. Um, it turned out to be the first class in my college experience that I liked and was good at at the same mm-hmm. time, uh, and so I was like, oh, "I'll just take another one." And I took another one, another one, and uh, basically, suddenly, I became an English minor. And then suddenly, I became an English major. And then suddenly, my politics and then religion majors turned into minors. Right. And so it just became that I uh, majored in. So by by my junior year, I knew that I was majoring in English with this, I think, now defunct my uh, like sub focus called writing rhetoric and culture. Um, right,
0: that's evolved into a number of other departments. That's sort of been absorbed out.
1: Cool. Yeah, that's great. It's a it's an awesome program. Uh, and then uh, my minors were in uh, politi- uh, politics and government uh, on the U.S. politics side, mm. and then religion, where I just kind of like took a slew of everything. Um, but yeah, it was it was really confusing trying to like find find my major, especially because I, I mean I wasn't the kind of person that was looking for a major in order to get a job, right? Um, which was a decision I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think was a bad decision. I really, really love that I studied what I studied. Um, but um, yeah, it was, it was hard. And it was uh, especially hard because no one was telling me what to do anymore. And mm-hmm. I could just kind of say what I wanted. And, uh, and when I said that I wanted an English major, uh, it felt like a foolish thing, but I think it was a great thing for me. Um, I learned so much through that major. Um, I have a, a Two of, two of the mentors that I keep in touch with from Puget Sound are uh, were my advisor and another English professor, mm-hmm. um, and it's trained me for everything. Um, so it was great.
0: And talk a little bit of, I mean, did you enter feeling like I'm not structuring my experience with an outcome in mind, or did you enter with some ambitions and goals, but just sort of trusting that you'd build skills and would eventually be able to work your way towards those things?
1: Yes, the latter. Yeah. Um totally. Yeah, I I have always been a believer in that getting a job has more to do with um your knowledge, your network and your skills rather than um a sort of like criteria. Mm. Um for me networking is huge. Uh partly because I was an English major and I just needed to hustle in a different way. Right. And I knew that going in. Um, it's something that comes naturally to me. And one of the reasons I got involved on, around on campus so much is I was actually really not a very good student. I didn't get good grades mm-hmm. and I like wasn't very good at academics, but I was really good at extracurriculars and like right. knowing everyone on campus and kind of knowing what was going on in all the different pockets mm-hmm. and being a connector. And I, saw, I knew that that was sort of
0: where right. my
1: strength was anyway. So yeah, I wasn't really concerned about finding a major that actually would get me employed. Um, <laughs> That said, I did try politics out for a little while. Um, I worked on the hill and I had a couple internships or and I, I guess I worked in politics for the better part of five years. Mm. Um, and, and it was just not for me in the end, but that was the most applicable kind of version of what I had. Um, and then after that I was just like, whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I personally for per, me for me personally, uh, my my major was structured around skills and right. critical thinking rather than, and also just like kind of enjoy, learning how to enjoy doing work yeah, um, in a, as opposed to finding a job.
0: And if you think back to it, how do you think that manifested itself? Because I, I was a sociology mm-hmm. and anthropology major in college. What at the time you were at Puget Sound was probably called comparative sociology. Um, and that's another one of those majors where it doesn't lead directly to a job, where you have to do a little bit of work to figure out what do I like about this and how do I want to apply it. But I still remember where I was standing in my senior year when I realized, oh, I got smarter, right? My questions are better. I'm a better critical thinker. I articulate my points more clearly. And I don't know that I could have pointed to one specific class or moment or assignment that did that for me. But I have this very clear memory of realizing all of the progress I had made, Mm. even in a major that doesn't necessarily quantify progress. Totally.
1: I think that's totally true. I had a similar moment of clarity. Um, it was, Yeah, it was a paper that I wrote. This is the most like liberal arts English major thing I could ever say. So just, it's it's ridiculous. But uh, in one of my classes with Mita Mahato, who was my advisor, who was wonderful, uh, and is still there, uh, uh, we read a book called The People of Paper, which is a com- sort of this like postmodern book, whatever. One of the bits, one of the like kitsches or uh, one of the like gimmicks of it is that uh it has these dots that sort of begin as just periods of end of Mm -hmm. ends of sentence but like grow throughout the book Mm -hmm. to actually encompass the entire page so at some point the entire page is black. Right. Um and so I did I was like, I'll just do my my paper on on the use of dots in this book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, there are actually other dots, you know, like there are colons and you know whatever. And it and so the entire paper was just about dots in the in the book. And that was a moment where I was just like, wow, I just wrote Ten pages about right. the most ludicrous, like heady thing that talk about inapplicable stuff to mm-hmm. life. Like n- the knowledge of that makes no difference right. outside <laughs> of that that room. But it was a blast, and one one of the things I learned is to follow what I in what I is to follow what I was interested in, right? Uh, and to actually just in, indulge myself in that knowledge, and then also that that I could like I could do that sort of thinking about something small from a lot of different angles, which has been really important for me after graduation.
0: Mm. Well, and so let's maybe talk a little bit about after graduation. I think one of the things that I talk a lot about with families as we're thinking about Puget Sound is when you get a liberal arts degree, you might have to do a little bit of work to figure out what you want to do after. Mm -hmm. right? And it's not if you go to a school that offers an accounting degree and you major in accounting, it's probably pretty clear to you what kind of job you're going to go get, right? When you get an English major or an anthropology major um, or even a biology degree or a business degree, you have to kind of figure out, okay, how do I want to apply this? And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how that experience unfolded for you.
1: Sure. Um, There's no way around the fact that going to a liberal arts school is a different strategy than going to a like a, a technical college or right. or a state school or something like that where you really are honed in. Um, and that's a real privilege. It's mm. a, it's a very different education you're going for. And also it's a real privilege to just be able to say, like, I'll just get educated and mm. then we'll see what happens, you know. Right. Uh, I'll come out with debt, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, I'll give you the long story. Please. At the end of my freshman year, mm-hmm. um, my mom was bugging me that I needed an internship. Right. Uh, <laughs> as moms do. Right. Uh, and... Uh, so, I went to Career and Employment Services. Yeah. And I um, met with uh, my person there. Her name is Sue Dolan, who is still there. She and is. She's wonderful. Um, and she changed my life for a bunch of reasons. But this is one of them. Um, and she, according to her, does not remember any of this, But is totally fine. <laughs> she meets with a dozen of students a day. Um, and I was just like, oh, man, I need this. I need an internship. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I want to go back into the like House of Representatives. I don't know if I want to do politics. Right. She was like, oh, well, like, what do you enjoy doing? And I said, oh, I like listening to the radio. Mm. She was like, fine. So she, like, literally on her computer, she would like, Control-T, like, like Minnesota Public Radio right. internships. She was like, oh, here's some. Like, go apply. Right. And so I did. And by the grace of something, I got an internship at minnesota public radio truly i do not understand why i had no experience
0: after your freshman year of college after my
1: freshman year of college yeah um and minnesota public radio is a really good station i was on um i was on a mid-afternoon show It was like a call-in show i just like did research all day right um and it was a like a, a fast education in um a newsroom and in answering calls and just all this stuff
0: right and you um, were actually on the air in that position? No, you absolutely were, not. So what kind of stuff were you actually yeah, doing? So, so
1: I was so I was prepping our host for the next day's shows. Got it. Um, so um, they would say, we have the director of the CIA tomorrow talking about Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. Uh, get us 200 pages on that or, <laughs> or whatever, you know? So, right. so I just would. Um, and
0: suddenly there's politics and radio together. Totally. Even if maybe that's not what you were going for. That's exactly to begin right. With. And
1: I was like researching authors and I was researching like musicians and I was also right. researching politicians and all those right. things. So. That, that was a moment where I was like, oh, like, public radio is kind of neat. Like, these people are nice. The work is interesting. Yeah. Um, and also I learned that summer that I'm not a journalist. Uh, I <laughs> just don't have that hustle in me. Right. Um, there are people who went to journalism school for this, um, which uh, there are a lot of people from Puget Sound who became journalists. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying that we can't. Um, Rachel Martin on NPR is a Puget Sound alum. She was my commencement speaker and is a very kind person. Right. Uh, who helped me out and a bunch of other alumni's, alumni, whatever. Alumnus, oh, yeah. Alumna, alumna.
0: Some of them are gendered, and some of them are singular, and yeah. it's. I don't know. There's a whole lot of Latin complexity. Yeah,
1: I, I was but. an English major, not a Latin major. <laughs> nice. Uh. Good save. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> um,
0: so you're at Minnesota uh, so Public Radio. Yeah, so,
1: yeah, and so I, re- I knew I didn't want to be a journalist. And, and I just kind of like sat with that for the next three years where mm. I knew I wanted to be in public radio and I had no idea what that meant. Right. So the next summer I worked at a youth program in Minnesota and the other, the following summer I interned on the Hill in D.C. Mm. Um, again and I was still just like I really want to be in public radio but I have no idea what that means. Right. And throughout college I was really into podcasts so I had like really I was involved in KUPS, um, the radio station, um, amazing station.
0: Yeah, it is. Voted the
1: number one uh, college radio station in the country a couple years running. A uh, few
0: times. uh, Yes.
1: uh, From MTVU. Uh, was our, was what I said on my tours.
0: Yeah, well, That's uh. exactly right. <laughs> yeah, That's that's a, a proud statistic. Yeah,
1: well, I guess it's, a, it's a great
0: station. It is. And actually, one thing, just as a quick sidebar that I really like about KUPS, is that as long as you have an interesting idea, they'll put pretty much anybody on the air. Totally. So as long as you show up and you want to do something that other people aren't doing on six radio stations in the greater Seattle-Tacoma area, there's a lot of hours in the day, right? You can be on the radio...
1: Totally. Or if you just, like, have a good interest that, like, you know, if you know jazz really well or whatever. Um, I had a show at, like, 5 a.m. on Thursday mornings or something. It was just, like, a terrible... Like, we literally had two listeners, and they were my (laughs) dad and my friend. Um, (laughs) But
0: what was your show about? uh,
1: It was a show with my friend uh, Sean Tyree, who is also from Minnesota. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It was called Transnational Airwaves, uh, where every week we would select a different city, um, and we would play only local music from that place. Oh, that's cool. And then we would hopefully bring in a person to come talk about uh, from that place to talk about what it's like. Who was at Puget Sound? At Puget Sound. Right. So we, you know, Honolulu or, or, uh, or uh, Missoula, Montana or right. Stockholm or wherever. Oh, cool. Um, and so it was a really, really fun show. We did it for yeah. th- more than three years. Um, and KUPS was a good education in just that I also loved just being around radio people in a radio station. Right. And also that I wasn't didn't want to be on air.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: so anyway, so this is a very long story. I'm, I'm s- enjoying <laughs> it. Yeah. So to say, um, after graduation, like everyone, I was in a complete panic. Uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had, yeah. no, I had no job. Um, I had a, a girlfriend, and that was kind of it, uh, you know? And uh, I'm that's better. To, or I, I was, I'm not going to... That was a lovely thing to have. Right. <laughs> uh, um, and so after graduation, thanks to Rachel Martin, uh, I flew out to D.C. about a, a week after graduation. And I say thanks because she was my commencement speaker. Mm-hmm. I just casually said, oh, if you're ever in D.C., let me know. I'll show you around NPR. And right. I was like, great.
0: Okay. I yeah, here I'll, I come. I'll be
1: there next Tuesday. Yeah. And so I went home and I bought my ticket. Um,
0: because of that, you weren't otherwise yeah. planning to be in well, D.C. Well, I,
1: I had uh, my dream was to work at NPR, the mothership mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. Right. Um, and I, I knew that from since my internship at Minnesota Public right. Radio, but I had no idea, no way how to, no way to get there. So when she offered that, I was like, "Absolutely!" Sure. So yeah. So the answer is yes. Um, so I flew out there. She showed me around. She was very kind, and of course, mm. I didn't remember anyone that I met, and they didn't remember me. But <laughs> right. it was a really great tour. Yeah. Uh, and as in, like, it really got me excited about all that the newsroom was, and right. all that organization of public radio can be. Um, so um, I. Went back to the Hill where I interned with uh, a congressman from Seattle, um, who was wonderful. Uh, and uh, luckily, it was a paid thing, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's very rare uh, on the Hill. Uh, and that got me through. And then I got an internship at NPR uh, in DC.
0: And that's how long after graduation? A so year that was, after graduation? No, like
1: five months after. Okay, uh, it was the the fall after graduation. Okay. And basically I got this internship in this like niche department uh, and uh, audience and community relations is what mm-hmm. it's called, where basically I put on events, but I also mostly just read listener emails and complaints right. and responded to people, um, which uh, I learned a lot from. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a very long story to say. I just didn't leave. Uh, I <laughs> uh, I dug my feet in and luck. People were very generous. And I worked at NPR for a couple of years um, in finance for a little bit and then in fundraising for another year yeah. or two um, or for another year. And... Um, that was really generous of people, and that's really how I how I saw that public radio is more than just being a host or being in finance. You know, right. there's a lot that goes into it. And so anyway, so right. that is where I sort of navigated or triangul. That's where I triangulated uh, my interests and my skills, and also that I could be a professional writer mm. that wasn't a journalist. So I right. I was my full time job was to write. Like I was an English major, yeah. um, and I was very good at it. And I was honestly surprised at how few people. Uh, in the world, are not very good at mm-hmm. writing, so it actually turned out to be a hard skill that I still use.
0: What kinds of things were you writing?
1: I was writing grant proposals yeah. um, and fundraising materials, okay. um, which sounds very dry. But to me, I think that's just like the most interesting thing. I was a re- writing rhetoric and culture major. Part of rhetoric is convincing someone mm. of something that they might not think they want to do. Right. Uh, what is more? What's a better example of that than giving money to something? Right. That's a, <laughs> an action that takes a lot of um, energy. So my goal was to create arguments, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I would, you know, just a couple pages of, of, of text, but it was just a blast. Right. I loved uh, uh, the research, and I obviously I just loved talking about NPR, yeah. which had, had always been my interest. So mm. that's just what I did. Um, I was a fundraising writer.
0: And one of the other things that I think I know about you, but this is maybe apocryphal, we're, we're about to find out, is... I have the impression that you somehow had a hand in Tiny Desk concerts at NPR. Uh,
1: I did not have a hand in, in Tiny Desk concerts, uh, but I went to.
0: You attended a Tiny bunch Desk of them. Concerts. Sure,
1: yeah, like, I mean, I was there for uh, probably a few dozen. Um, a friend of mine was an was an editor at NPR Music, so I mm-hmm. hung out uh, there a bunch, and I helped judge the Tiny Desk contest for a couple years. Whoa! Um, or like, it let just like helped screen things um so yeah it was it was fun
0: as somebody with an interest in music too i imagine that's surreal to be able to sort of perch on the edge of somebody's actual desk and see whoever
1: yeah no it's amazing um it's a it's a real perk of working at npr yeah um and uh yeah i mean like for my farewell evening we just like went and had cake at the tiny desk it (laughs) became just like a part of life yeah um and it's definitely a perk. I mean, I mean, you just see a lot of artists that are great. And also, it, it was good in humanizing people mm. uh, that these like big artists that like might go on to play like a stadium that same night are just like they're people playing bars, like, like, right? Who at like a year ago, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I ended up when I was in DC, I hosted a house shows at, at, in my living room, mm. and it was the same kind <laughs> of stuff where it was just like it's the same. Like, these people could be big deals in 10 years or not. Like, right. who knows? But if they're right. talented, like, that's all that matters.
0: Do you have a particular favorite that you saw come through Tiny Desk?
1: Yeah. Um, St. Paul and the Broken Bones is a really great band. Uh, it was the f- probably my second Tiny Desk. And the guy, uh, I assume his name is St. Paul. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he was the first person I saw that stood on the Tiny Desk, which was right. like, very rebellious. And his <laughs> voice is just stunning um so st paul and the broken bones um i'm a lifelong fan of punch brothers and so yeah. it's a big deal when they came through um and uh uh leon lejavis was fantastic mm.
0: um yeah does there, somebody... there, were,
1: there were people that were bad too but i won't mention sure. them
0: yeah that's we can be discreet <laughs> yeah the does somebody actually work at the tiny desk the rest of the time
1: yeah, that's that's literally Bob Boylan's desk. Is it really? Bob Boylan <laughs> is the founder of the Tiny Desk mm-hmm. series, or one of the one of the two founders with Stephen Thompson. And he's also was, like one of the original staff of NPR Music. He directed All Things Considered for a bunch of years. Yeah. And it's literally his desk, <laughs> um, and he just kind of clears out when the artist moves his stack of papers to the yeah, floor. Yeah, and, and the yeah. one next to it, which you can see in the videos, is the intern desk. Got uh, it. Is, his, is the intern that works with Bob. So the both of, both of them have to kind of clear out.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. But there are worse things to clear out for than. That's Tom right. Jones.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when you're doing it three times a week, sometimes. Well, like, right. Sure.
0: Is it really three times a week? Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, I didn't know. There are know. a ton of them. I, well, there are a lot, but I guess I had not ever paid week. attention to the frequency.
1: Yeah. They record at a different rate than they release. Sure. But yeah.
0: But wow. Yeah. yeah. Three times a week. That's a lot to be point, vacating you just, your you desk. you just put your
1: headphones on and do your work anyway.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just listen to their album while mm-hmm. they're 40 feet away. That's right. That's so right. Um, and how, did, how and when did you leave NPR?
1: Oh, I left NPR um, two years after I graduated. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is that? 2016. And um, I went to an organization called the Pew Charitable Trusts, which Mm -hmm. is a nonprofit that does a lot of policy and um, things that sound really wonky, but like in my mind really changed the world. And um, I continued in fundraising and donor relations, which uh, was another good thing where I knew that it was good skill building. I had no interest in fundraising itself. Mm -hmm. um, And I knew that that would be my last job in fundraising, which it was. Um, But it was great, and I got to contribute to a cool organization. Right. And then I needed a life change, and I had this dream of working in community building in public radio that had been consistent throughout, even at NPR. Um, I tried to do that work as well. Um, And uh, there are only two places in the country, really, that do it. Um, Maybe more than that, but um, the one that was most explicit is uh, where we're sitting now, the Mm. podcast garage in Boston. Um, So I left my job for an internship, uh, and I moved with not a ton of money in my savings, another foolish decision, <laughs> and um, it worked out. I've been here for uh, going on two years now. Right. Um, so yeah, and it's, it's been a, a great gift.
0: And when we were coming in and sitting down, I was asking a little bit about the podcast garage and the building, and one of the things that was striking to me about how you described it is the spectrum of people that use this space. Yeah. That it's from the Daily at the New York Times, sometimes records here, all the way to the community center down the street. That's exactly right. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what's appealing to you about seeing that level of access Mm. in radio and in audio mediums.
1: Yeah, so... That's a great question. For me, what I find most frustrating about public radio is that it doesn't completely embody its mission. Its mm-hmm. mission being to uh, enrich communities via its content. In my mind, that really manifests through in-person interactions with the, with the community. Yeah. And if you can, talent building or empowerment. Right. Um, via the tools of radio. Um, and so there are... There are a few places that do that. Uh, KEXP has a has their mm. gathering space up in Seattle, which is fantastic. Uh, there's one in Arizona. They have uh, something called Soundbite Truck. Uh, there's uh, a place in St. Louis. The the Public Media Commons. There are these pockets of interesting things.
0: But you're also able to tick them off on your fingers. Yeah. in a conversation right now, which
1: is something that I. In college, I really worked on that. I right. spent all my free time reading blogs about public radio. I read yeah. Current, the newspaper for public radio. I listened to The Pub, which is a podcast about public radio. Yeah. I like, spent all of my free time in this world so that by the time I left, no, I, had, I had no one to talk about it with. Um, <laughs> that's one of the reasons I joined Twitter, just to like have other people. Um, and so, yeah, and that's something that you have to build as you find your interest, especially coming from a liberal arts background where um, you, um, your angle um, might be a sense of knowledge or expert expertise. Right. So, anyway, um, so what I find most powerful about a space like this is that it completely democratizes the medium, which is really hard to get into in general, just because equipment is expensive. And it takes a lot of um, mentorship and community and motivation to actually like go and produce a piece. Like right. I had a chat show on KPS. And for many years, every year, I said, this is the year I'm going to produce a proper piece. And I never <laughs> did. Right. Mostly because they're just I didn't think there was anyone around me doing it. Right. I learned later that there were but <laughs> still. So um, giving people a community, giving people training and giving people the actual physical tools like the microphones we're talking on now um, is really powerful and uh, making it cheap right. uh, and making it easy for people to access. So um, part of it is is just that I believe in democratizing media mm. and especially as podcasting is like still pretty new, although kind of solidifying in a weird way, um, making sure people have access to the tools. Right. And then part of it is just like the mission of the work is actually like enriching our communities physically and like... Providing the space that they need and the tools that they want, so that's that's my goal is to is to provide that service to to our local communities um, in Boston. That's here. I'm working on a space in D.C. where I used to live, mm-hmm. um, and that'll be focused on the D.C. community or the DMV. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's what really gets me going. It's it's not like it's cool that the Daily records here, or that you know America's Test Kitchen records their podcast here, um, and that's that's really or the, is wonderful. The
0: University of Puget Sound or records the universe, their podcast here. The, PS, the famous PS podcast. Uh-huh. Um, uh,
1: and that's nice. I, I care more about the people, the right. community down the street, and like the the elementary school class that comes and gets mm-hmm. to sit in the mm-hmm. chairs and feel what it's like to be in a studio. You right.
0: know. And one of the things that is really striking to me about that is that I have the impression as somebody that does not work in radio in any meaningful way that podcasts are sort of perceived as an equalizer right in that you don't have to be given broadcast space on an airwave to have a podcast that exists in the world and I think that people often lose sight of the fact that the equipment to actually execute those projects can be a barrier and can be an obstacle to something that otherwise seems like it is, in some ways, evening the playing field of audio media.
1: Totally. And for what it's worth, um, you can have an amazing show that is recorded on just your laptop. And microphone. Yeah. Like, like there, you can do a lot with a little. Um, and there are a lot of people who have done that. Um, and you can also do nothing with a ton of tools. So, mm. so it's not – one right. doesn't equal the other. Um, there are so – like, there's, like, what, 600,000 podcasts or something now. And 95% of them are probably total crap. Uh, and that's fine. Um, I had a podcast with a friend who, and it was a great podcast, uh, and I really enjoyed doing it, especially because he was a friend from Puget Sound, and mm. um, it was just a good excuse to sort of continue our, our like, talking after we graduated. Right. Um and what I loved about it is that I learned how to edit audio yeah. again. Uh, I, like, learned how to produce a segment. I learned, how to, like, what sounded like good audio. And I could, like, edit myself in the moment rather than after the fact. Like, I just learned all those sort of tricks uh, and that I apply in my job now right um and those are things you don't have to wait for um you can just go make a podcast um using audacity which is like a free software and like your laptop microphone that's totally fine Mm -hmm. or outed, or just like an earbud for your iphone or whatever it's a totally fine microphone yeah people produce really good stuff with that so um it's definitely i agree it is a democratizer um and the barriers of access are I think more structural in terms of access to power Hmm. and by that i literally just mean like it's hard to get a job and like there aren't that many jobs in radio and when there are they like are looking for people with a lot of experience so it's Mm -hmm. hard to get that experience so these are just like
0: yeah it's additive exactly yeah
1: um so anyway so i agree yes i agree
0: perfect (laughs) wrapping up all of our conversations by asking everybody the same four questions ready
1: no (laughs) but go on
0: okay well question one I'll ask slowly is what is the best place on campus do you think what's your favorite place on campus
1: yeah the best I have two favorite places on campus Mm. Uh, one I mentioned I had a KPS show Mm -hmm. the the booth in KPS is just so much fun yeah it's a beautiful, like, tiny room packed with all these records and uh, just this, these, like, these, like, funny lights. And uh, I just, it's an amazing space. I love listening to music on those huge speakers. Mm. And it feels so cool just being in the center of things.
0: I think there's a couch uh, in there. That's cool. Totally.
1: Uh, I had a, fr- a friend who had a show on Friday nights and he was basically just like, y'all should come hang out. And so <laughs> there would be, like, 10 people just hanging out in the studio. Right. And he, he was a, like, old school hip hop head. And so we just, like, listened to hip hop and just, like, talked. Mm. It, was, it was great. Um, so definitely K- the KPS a- booth. And the other um, would be, um, when I was there, it was something called the SDC, the Student the Student Diversity Center. Mm-hmm. Now it's something called the Yellow House, mm-hmm. uh, which um, is run by um, the multi, what's it called now?
0: Center for Intercultural and Civic Engagement.
1: There it is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Uh, SICE. SICE, There it is. Um, the chaplain is the head of it. His name is Dave Wright, yeah. um, who continues to be a mentor of mine. I was an interfaith coordinator with him mm-hmm. for, my, for all four years. Um, and um, that building meant so much to me. Uh, a couple of my clubs met in there. Um, it also is just a re- I think a really necessary tool um, to actually like do the personal growth of that college uh, that I found in college. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's a nice space. So and they're very nice people. So that's true. I like that. Yeah.
0: What are you reading right now?
1: I'm reading a couple things. Um, I'm reading a, a detective book that I won't talk about because okay. it doesn't sound as impressive. It's not as air you die. Although I did take a detective fiction class at Puget Sound. Oh, that's good. One of my favorite classes I took yeah. um, with Mike Benveniste, who is a uh, who's a lit theory person and who is just like this amazing mind. Mm. You just kind of like go. You just absorb. Right. Um, and you like grow through absorbing. Um, so anyway, so I so I do actually the detective book is good, um, but uh, <laughs> a book that I I loved recently it's called the seventh function and it's by laurent binet do i know who that is no uh, i think it, i think that he's french um but it's like think about a postmodern book it's exactly right. that it's about uh roland barth or barthes whatever who is a central theorist in my field of, in the mm-hmm. writing rhetoric, culture whatever you want to call it yeah um he like kind of was a linchpin of it he did cultural studies in the 80s anyway it, he. This is true. He he died uh, because a milk truck or a laundry truck hit him and he just died. <laughs> and this book is like, what if that was a conspiracy? And so it's a fiction book, but with like just like really fun, sort of like globe trotting, really wonky, heady thing for liberal arts majors like us. <laughs> yeah.
0: What is your favorite place to eat in Tacoma? Uh,
1: in Tacoma, there are a bunch. Um, there's the 24 hour memos uh-huh. right off campus.
0: There sure is.
1: I love memos. Uh, is it the best food? No. Is it, 24 is it a three dollar
0: burrito that's yeah. twenty four hours? How can you say that? No? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh,
1: Red Hot uh, is an uh-huh. amazing place with these hot dogs that are just like ludicrous. Uh, they, what's the famous one? Like peanut butter and bacon, or something. Yeah, the
0: Hound Dog that's peanut butter it. and bacon.
1: And it's just like a, it's a good spot. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite place to do work is a place called Metronome Cafe, mm. um, right off campus. Yeah. Uh, and what is that? Alder. And uh
0: it's union and sixth
1: union and sixth yeah it's been a long streets. time uh, seriously i know i need to go back come on uh and it's just it's a really cool space and it's also just like you know hipster coffee and I'm, i don't know coffee very well but it tasted good to me what i really liked <laughs> is that um they have they have like open mic nights in this performance area and mm. it's a really cool space to work um so they've like you know they have good like coffee and good vibes and you yeah. just go read there for a you while you can get
0: a little stack of pancakes yeah that's oh, fun that's great yeah cool it's delicious huh. And lastly, what do you think it makes Puget Sound special?
1: One thing I said to a lot of my prospective students, and I still think is true, is that in most ways, Puget Sound is not actually that different from any other liberal arts school in the country. Um, Like the education you get is probably going to be just as good as a bunch of other schools. Um, But what is different? is a couple things. Like, one, it's, like, the geography. Like, do you actually want to live in Tacoma, Washington, and, like, in the Pacific Northwest? I think that's a huge plus. I loved waking up and seeing Mount Rainier from my literally from my bed without Mm -hmm. getting up. Um, I loved having access to Tacoma, which is a really cool city, and also to Seattle, which is a really cool city, and also having some separation from Seattle. Right. Um, (laughs) Yes. uh, But, like, literally you can just get on the bus and go. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also just love the neighborhood uh, of... Where up the UPS North End, is, yeah. Or, sorry, where, where Puget Sound is.
0: That's okay. You can be <laughs> forgiven for that. <laughs>
1: um, uh, there's just like a lot to do and it's a really lovely place. Um, and then also it's the physical environment. Like the the campus is just stunning. Like yeah. there's no way around it. It's just a stupidly attractive campus <laughs> that makes you feel regal just walking around. There are like all the woods and all the, the beautiful buildings, mm-hmm. um, which I think really did foster a, a different... Uh, college experience for me, right? Um, and also just like really nice to be around. Like you leave the library at two a.m. and you actually can, like feel like you're happy to be there, right? Um, and then yeah, the other thing is just like the people, which there are good people in a lot of places, but for me, I found my good people at Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. And when I visited campus, it was just like very clear when I when I visited. It was like this is my place, um, and that was because of my host, uh, who's a guy named Brian. Ernst, shout out. Oh. Uh, and uh, and then also because of Uh, Oh, yeah. He works at Puget Sound.
0: Well, no, he doesn't anymore, actually. Now Brian's in law school. Oh, that's
1: right. But he
0: worked at Puget Sound for long enough that we overlapped. So I, too, know Brian Ernst. Oh, great.
1: He's just a life changer. A a
0: delightful human being.
1: He really is. Yeah. He's something else. Yeah. what I loved is the vibe of like sort of these like like the hipster crowd, but like not that hipster, and then also sort of this like really wide swath of other people from around the country and around the world. I had never met anyone from Hawaii before, right. you know, um, and then and then also my professors who I just grew to really trust and adore.
0: Ian Fox, thank you very much for hosting me here and for joining me this morning.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Hi I'm Tori Henson, Assistant Director of Admission at Puget Sound, working with students in the Mid-Atlantic and in the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as all of our transfer students. If you like what you hear on this podcast, you can learn even more about Puget Sound by coming to campus. Schedule your visit at pugetsound.edu/visit. We’d love to host you. Thank you to our guest and to you, the listener. You can follow Puget Sound on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at univ, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. And we hope you'll join us next time for another episode of P.S., the Puget Sound podcast.